you guys want to open up to Colossians in, in the New Testament, we've been walking through um, that book for uh, the last four months. As you're turning there, I want to kind of think about a, a big concept that we, we see in Colossians and kind of has a connection with uh, the Pacific Ocean. The Pacific Ocean is the largest body of water uh, on Earth. Uh, it, it extends from the Arctic to the Antarctic, uh, from Asia and Australia all the way over to North and South America. Uh, and the, uh, it, it's made up of 63 uh, million square miles in area which means that if you took all of the land masses on Earth and, and bunched them all together, the Pacific Ocean would still be bigger than all of the land on the Earth. That's how big the Pacific is. Uh, the Pacific also contains the deepest point on the Earth, the Mariana Trench, uh, which goes down uh, 35,797 feet, which means you could take Mount Everest, which is about uh, almost 30,000. Uh, you could take Mount Everest, flip it upside down, uh, and still have about a mile of water <laughs> over the, the peak of Mount Everest. That's how deep uh, the Mariana Trench is. Uh, and uh, so, so imagine we're, we're on the Pacific, which would be kind of intimidating. And we look around, and all we can see uh, in every single direction uh, would be endless water. Okay, so, so to a certain extent, when you're in the middle of the Pacific, it seems infinite. Now, and now it's finite, but when you're there in the middle... It seems like that's all that is in existence. That there's nothing else that you can see, only water upon water and upon water. So now, now we're in that boat, and, and let's just hypothetically say we decide to jump out of that boat. Uh, and and we, we land in the water, uh, and we can, it can be said that we are now in the Pacific Ocean, right? Uh, and, and that's what it's like as, as Colossians talks about us now being in Christ, uh, the Pacific Ocean is not infinite, but it seems infinite when you're when you're on it. Uh, and Christ is infinite. Uh, and over and over again in Colossians, uh, it, Paul Paul states this reality uh, that that we are in Christ, which is kind of hard to wrap our minds around. Uh, and that's where the Pacific Ocean comes in. So now let's go back to that ocean. We're there in the water, uh, and uh, we open our mouths. Guess what? Now now the Pacific Ocean is in you, yeah, uh, which is also a reality that, that is explained in uh, Colossians. Uh, that, see, Colossians says that, that when we believe in Jesus, we, we become united with him, uh, that we are now in him and he is now in us. Uh, and some of you may say that, uh, well, if, if I'm in the Pacific and I open my mouth and the Pacific is now in me, I'm dead. <laughs> I, I just drowned uh, because my body doesn't like water in, in my lungs. Uh, well, but, but that's also perfect for the illustration be, because Colossians says that, that Christ, uh, you are in Christ, that Christ is in you, and that you have died with him and been raised with him to newness of life. And uh, this, this reality of our union with Christ, Paul Paul speaks about it as, as a mystery. If you look at Colossians 1, uh, towards the end of that chapter, in, so let's start in verse 24. Uh, Paul, Paul's writing and explaining to them what he has been commissioned to do. And we looked at this several weeks ago. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. 
of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. And what was that stewardship? It was to make the word of God fully known. And then that the word of God is equal to the beginning of verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. So, so this mystery, which, which is uh, as deep as the Pacific in its riches, that the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So you see, that's what Paul unveils to the Colossians of what he has come to do is, is explain and to proclaim that if you believe in Jesus, uh, you can have newness of life. You can be forgiven for your sins. Uh, you die, your, your old self dies and your new self begins to live because you are now united uh, to Christ in faith. And for the remainder of the letter, that's what we're going to see. Paul is going to be, begin to unpack that because there's so much to that statement, right? When we say, I'm in Christ and he is in me, it's difficult to wrap our brains around that. And we're, we're going to look at that and Paul's going to begin to, to explain that more in depth um, as, uh, as we look at our passage uh, this morning. Now, and why don't we, we go ahead and read uh, the verses that we're going to look at this morning. Uh, Colossians 2, uh, verses 6 and 7. Paul writes, Says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's just pause there and pray uh, once more. Gracious God, Lord, we... We thank you, we praise you that in your wisdom you have chosen to reveal this mystery to us, that Christ is in us and we are in him, that we are united with him and therefore we are united with you. Lord, that's difficult to understand. It's difficult to understand how we should respond to that. It's difficult to understand all that encompasses and all that means. So I pray that you would give us understanding this morning. That you would help us to understand what you have written in your word so that we might be built up, so that we might be rooted, uh, so that we might continue to grow in our relationship with Christ, uh, in our walk, and that ultimately we might do that to your glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, so what we're going to see this morning is is Paul... Uh, shifting gears. Uh, everything that we've, we've seen up until this point has been Paul stating facts about Jesus, about his ministry. Paul's going to begin to issue commands today. Uh, we see the first command in Colossians uh, today, and that's, that's walk in Christ. Uh, and, and that's going to be the, the main topic of what we're, what we're talking about. But uh, specifically, I want to look at uh, two implications of our union with Christ, uh, because there are implications. Uh, you, you see that, that therefore uh, builds upon everything that was said previously. Uh, we always have to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Uh, and so uh, it has implications for our everyday lives. So I want to look at two implications that we see here uh, in this little paragraph. Uh, and implication number one is that if you have believed in Jesus, you must live for Jesus. Uh, 
Paul writes, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So, uh, and the command here that we're going to see in this paragraph, the, the, the walk in Christ, uh, first command in the book, and that's the, the main idea in this paragraph, and everything else supports that. Uh, Paul is saying, walk in Christ. And so does that mean that I... Uh, that I literally have to jump into Jesus and then walk around in his sandals or something? Like, what does that mean to walk in Christ? And literally what it means is to conduct yourself daily according to Jesus. You are, in essence, to, to live in Jesus, to live for Jesus. Uh, and Paul uses that uh, illustration over and over again. He uses it in Colossians 1.10, and then uh, in Ephesians, he, he commands uh, them to five different times to walk in a certain way. Uh, so that's it's how you conduct yourself in, in a daily manner. And uh, ultimately, uh, the, the way the command is given here, it's something that's to be continual and repeated over and over again. It's not just a one-time, hey, I took a step in Christ, but it's no uh, continually and habitually uh, walk in Christ. And if you look back just at uh, verse 5 in chapter 2, Paul says, For though I am absent in body, Yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So Paul has already said, hey, you've ordered yourself well, kind of like a, a military uh, branch would do as all the soldiers line up uh, in uh, rows and in lines, and they're not crooked lines, they're all very straight and organized. He said, hey, that's your good order, I'm pleased to see that, and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And right after he says, I'm, I'm rejoicing to see the firmness of your faith. What does he command them to do? Now continue in it. Uh, habitually stay uh, following Christ and pursuing him. Uh, and Paul makes a, a comparison here because he says, as you receive that, so just as they received Christ, uh, in that same way they are supposed to, they're supposed to walk in Christ. Uh, and uh, in essence, that, that receiving of Christ is the idea of you've, uh, passing down uh, tradition or passing down instruction from a teacher to a pupil. So he's literally saying, hey, the, the tradition about Christ, the truth about Christ that you received, continue in that. And as we'll see next week, compared to other tradition, that's going to be condemned. Paul, Paul is going to say next week, of, hey, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. So that, that's going to be contrary to what Paul wants them to walk, but he wants them to walk according to what they have received in Christ. Uh, and what, what we're going to see here in this of, hey, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, is there's this inseparable connection between b b believing and receiving Jesus and then living for him. Uh, and, and believing in Jesus always precedes living for him. Because if you don't believe in him, why would you want to live for him? So first we have to receive, we have to believe in Jesus, and then we begin to, to live for him continually for the rest of our lives. Uh, and believing in Jesus always leads to living for Jesus. You can't separate the two. And I guess if we wanted to use uh, big theological terms, you could say uh, that, that justification, meaning that when we, are, when we believe in Jesus, we are declared righteous by God. Uh, it's like he puts a stamp on our forehead, uh, righteous, uh, even though we're not. But because of what Jesus has done, Jesus took our sins and we get his righteousness. So now we are declared righteous in the same way that Jesus uh, was declared righteous. Uh, that's justification. Uh, that's a one-time event, and God is the one who does that. 
but that's distinct from sanctification. You can't separate the two, but they're distinct. Now, sanctification is, is a process of becoming more and more like Jesus. On the day that you believed in Jesus, were you instantly and immediately like him in every way? No, not at all. Uh, you're like, I, I, and, and guess what? You'll, you'll never be exactly like Jesus. But we are called to, to pursue being like him for the remainder of our days. That's sanctification. So justification and sanctification, you can't separate those two. Uh, Jesus died both to, to justify us before God and to secure our holiness. He, he enables us to become like him because of what he's done uh, in his death. So uh, in the mid to late 1980s, there was this big controversy in the church in America. Uh, it, was no, it was known as the, the Lordship Salvation Controversy. And what in essence, uh, what, what the controversy was about was the, the fruit of salvation of what happens when somebody becomes a believer. Uh, and I can kind of summarize the controversy in, in this way. If it, was a, if it was a legal brief that was presented to a court, this is how I would summarize it before a judge. So uh, this scriptural truth and then some questions. Of, hey, everyone is called to believe in Jesus for salvation. Yet after professing to believe in Jesus, there are some people whose lives are transformed to become like him and there are others whose lives are never transformed. For those with no outward transformation and obedience to Christ, have they truly believed in Jesus? <clears throat> that's that's the, the question that we have to answer in that controversy. Will the life of a Christian always be outwardly transformed, or are only some people transformed and others untransformed? Uh, now, uh, I was born in 1985, so I was not a part of that controversy. I had no understanding of it. But when I was in college, uh, I, I began to understand certain things. I was a, <clears throat> a baby believer, uh, and six months uh, as a believer, and then I moved out to New Mexico uh, to finish up school uh, and uh, to play football. And it was in the wilderness. Uh, I thought the school name was going to be the Tumbleweeds. Uh, because there's just no nobody out there, uh, but but I get out there and again in in the Lord's providence, He, he plants me at this little <clears throat> little church there, uh, and Pastor uh, was teaching uh, one day, and, and he said, Hey, you can you can memorize Colossians in a year if you do two verses a week. And I was like, Oh, that sounds pretty cool. Uh, and so I, I took him up on that, uh, that challenge, and I, I began to memorize Colossians, and I would in, encourage all of you guys to, to try and work on that as well. Um, but in, in, I, was, I was memorizing, and several weeks in, I came to, <clears throat> to this verse that we're looking at this morning, of Colossians 2.6. And as a, as a baby believer, th- this verse really hit me and impacted me because <clears throat> it was like a, a light shining upon my soul. Uh, and it really, really convicted me because I had kind of compartmentalized things in my life. Uh, and I wasn't truly following Jesus as I, as I should have. I, w- I was playing that game of, hey, uh, being a college student, uh, and then I'm going to church. Uh, and then once I'm, I'm done with church, I go back to being a college student. Uh, and then, oh yeah, and then Sunday night or Sunday, I go back to, to being uh, a Christian. So, but, but this verse, just again, being, uh, uh, a neophyte, uh, a baby believer, uh, I understood that I, that I couldn't play that game anymore. That, that I realized as I, I had received Jesus, but I wasn't walking in him. 
And that really convicted me, along with what I mentioned last week of Galatians 2.20, which kind of talks about that same truth of, hey, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live. And I said, wow, that I can't say that about myself. I wanted that Burger King Christianity of have it your way, uh, you know, special orders don't upset us, uh, all, all of that kind of a thing. But but special orders upset Jesus. Uh, you can't pick and choose what you're going to obey uh, from Scripture. It's it's all or nothing, and that's what this verse confronted me with in my own life. Uh, that I needed to to walk in Jesus in the same way uh, that I had uh, received Him, that I had believed in Him, and ultimately, I, th- I think that's what Jesus uh, calls us to. Uh, you, if you look repeatedly in, in the Gospels, one of Luke 6:46, he asks this question. He says, "Why do you call me Lord and then not do what I say?" It's like kind of pointing out, like, if you're not going to obey me, don't call me Lord. Uh, other other verses uh, would be, hey, John 14:21, uh, the one who loves Jesus is the one who obeys him. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Uh, additionally, if you look at uh, Luke 14, uh, verses 25 to 33, Jesus. Jesus is telling people who want to follow him, like, hey, count the cost. And he uses two illustrations of somebody uh, who, who begins to build a tower. Uh, if, if you're going to build a tower, you make sure that you have the, the money and the resources to build the tower because you don't want to halfway build the tower and then leave it abandoned. Uh, that, that's the first example. And then the second example is uh, if you're a king who's going off to war against another king and you have... <clears throat> Now, the, the troop numbers may not be exact. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, it says, if you have 3,000 and, and the guy that you're going against has 6,000, what should you do? <laughs> you, you need to, to send an envoy uh, and, and try and make peace before it comes to battling against this other king. Uh, and just this reality of counting the cost of, of what it means to follow Christ. Uh, as you receive Jesus, you also have to, to walk in him. Uh, and ultimately, this that little command there in, in two six is the, the summary of the entire letter of what Paul is calling us to. Uh, as you have received Jesus as your Creator, as your Sustainer, as the All Sufficient One that He talked about in Colossians one, as you've received Him, now you need to to walk in Him uh, and live for Him. We're, we're called to submit to Jesus and no one else as Lord and Savior. One, one pastor said, you are to establish your values, guide your thinking, and direct your conduct based upon his teaching and person. Now, and that's such a simple verse, right? Of, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, and that little phrase of Christ Jesus the Lord is, is emphatic. Of, hey, literally, it's as you received the Christ Jesus the Lord, meaning, hey, all of those capacities, that, that he is truly God, that he is truly the Messiah, and that he is truly Jesus the man. As you have received him, you have to walk in him. That, that verse immediately pushes aside any, any notion that I can kind of pick and choose, that I can treat Christianity like a buffet line and say, hey, I like this, but I'll leave that out. Uh, it just it pushes all of that aside. We are to walk in Christ because we have received Christ by grace, in faith. Uh, and, and the command issued in uh, this first verse uh, is then explained in the second verse, in verse 7. And let's look at that. So we are to walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So that 
Which leads us to, to implication number two, that if you're to live for Jesus, you must not move from Jesus. Now, it's interesting because, because Paul says, hey, walk in him in this way. And when I think of walking, I think of motion, right? You're naturally moving when you're walking. And then how does he describe how they should walk? He mentions all of these things that don't move. <laughs> he says, hey, you're to walk in him rooted, built up, established. And you're like, okay, so, so what is it you want me to, to understand here, uh, Paul? And so it's, you know, it's a little ironic there. Uh, but, but what does it look like to, to walk in Jesus, uh, to live for him? Uh, and ultimately, uh, we're going to see four, uh, four smaller characteristics of what it looks like to walk in Christ. Uh, and interestingly enough, in, in the, I'm going to write these up here, in the, the Greek, they're all participles, meaning that they're all ongoing actions, uh, that, they, that they are continually happening. So we have rooted, we have built up, we have established, and then we have abounding, right? And, and let's take a look at, at each of these and kind of what it looks like to follow Jesus. So I have my little guy here. Okay? And so the, the overall command is to, to walk in Jesus. As we have received him, we're, we're to move forward in him. We're to walk continually. That's, that's supposed to, to characterize our life, right? Uh, but then uh, th- this first explanation of what that looks like, rooted, okay? Okay. Uh, Means it kind of gives the idea of of a foundation. Again, when, when you hear roots, what do you think of? Tree. Tree. Exactly, and and that's exactly the picture that Paul is using here. Hey, you're, you're to be to be rooted downward and secured in Christ. Uh, that's that's what we are called uh, to do, right? Walk in Christ, rooted and built up in Him. Uh, but the interesting thing is, uh, in the same way that uh, you know a foundation is laid or, or roots. Uh, we're to be secured there, uh, but this um, is what we would call passive. So another little guy here. So there's different kinds of, of action. Okay, there's active action, which means you are doing something to somebody else. Uh, passive action would be uh, somebody is acting upon you, uh, and then there's also something called the middle, which means that you are acting. Uh, and you are the one receiving the action, okay? So th- what's interesting here is that this, this rooted, uh, where he says, hey, walk in Christ rooted uh, and built up in him, it's passive, which means what? Yeah, and, and who is who's they? Yeah, or it, it's God. So as we walk, what does he do? He roots us. What's also interesting about uh, this word uh, is that it's, it's different from the other three. Uh, these other three actions uh, are going to be uh, done at the same time as we walk. Like they're all happening at, contemporaneously. At the same time uh, that we walk, we're being built up, we're being established, and we're being, or we are abounding. Uh, but Paul makes it specific to say that this rooting that happens to us actually happens before th- the action of walking. So what does that what does that tell us? Who is it that that roots us uh, in Christ before we walk in Him? Christ. Yeah, God. We you have to be rooted in in Christ before you can even begin to walk in Him, and that's something that God does. That's God working in your life 
by grace through faith, uh, and then you can begin to walk. Right? So that's what we're called. A, once you're, you're rooted, uh, and I guess being rooted uh, in Him, uh, then you begin to walk. Uh, right? Then the next one. What do you guys think of when you, when you hear built up? Yeah, some kind of construction. So, uh, in rooted, we see that, hey, we're, we are, we grow downwards and we're secured downwards, but then also we, we're called to begin to, to grow upwards, uh, to be built up in Christ. Uh, think of uh, that skyscraper. You ever see a skyscraper being built, uh, where they have that, that crane that's like at the top, uh, and then the crane continues to move higher and higher. It's always on the top layer so it can continue to move things. That, that's how we are supposed to be. Uh, of continually growing, continually uh, being uh, built upwards in Christ. But again, it happens uh, at the same time as we are walking. God is working. Again, this is, this is passive. God is working in our lives. So as we walk, we are being built upwards continually. Right? Which is encouraging because oftentimes as we're trying to pursue Christ and, and follow Him and walk in Him, we feel like uh, we're just, we're, we have no more energy. That, that we're not going anywhere, that we, that we can't continue to walk in Christ. But what do we have to keep in mind is that at that same time as we're walking, God is working in our lives to, to make us more like him, to, to build uh, us up uh, and to, to strengthen us in Christ. Uh, so we have this, this rooted downwards, this growing uh, upwards uh, vertically. Uh, and then uh, we have... Uh, this next one of of being established, uh, and uh, that would be uh, being strengthened or confirmed. Uh, and again, it, it's repeated, and it's something that God is doing uh, or working in us and upon us uh, as we walk. God is strengthening us; uh, He is establishing us. So you can say that there's a whole bunch of smaller arrows helping us and encouraging us along the way. Uh, as we move forward and follow Jesus, God is uh, strengthening and establishing us uh, as we walk. Right? Another interesting thing about this word established is uh, it's used in, in legal contexts uh, to, to validate a testimony. Okay? So if you had uh, an expert witness come in uh, and validate that something was true that had been testified about. Uh, so in essence, what happens as we walk in Jesus uh, as uh, we have been rooted, as we continue to be built up, uh, as, as we're strengthened, there's also this idea that we become, the, the genuineness of our faith um, becomes, this is a little official legal document right there, that's the seal, uh, clearly, right? Uh, that as we walk in Christ, the genuineness of our faith is made abundantly clear. Uh, and that it it becomes official, it becomes validated not only by others but by God because of the way that we are walking and being built up in Christ. Isn't that that amazing? Uh, all of that is is in here. So we we see all of these things of how God is is working in our lives, right? All of these are are passive. These top three. Uh, because God is the one working. We're, we're commanded to, to walk in Jesus, and God, uh, as we do that, he's, he's working in all of those ways upon our hearts, upon our minds, uh, in our lives. And then th- this, this last one, abounding. 
it, it changes gears. And it's no longer passive, but it's active. Okay? Uh, he, this is God working, and then this is, now this is us. Uh, and that word for, for abounding is literally overflowing. So if you, if you ever, uh, you know, put water on in the sink to, to fill uh, the sink with, uh, for washing dishes or something, have you ever let that, that sink overflow? <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> not on purpose, but yeah. All right? Um, and then if it was on Lance's floor, he would immediately be, uh, be cleaning up the floor, you know. Uh, but just that reality of we, we are to be overflowing and, and abounding in thanksgiving, of giving thanks back to God for who he is and how he has, has worked in our lives, right? Which is pretty amazing, right? Uh, and so then we naturally have to ask, of, okay, am I, am I walking in Christ? Am I seeing God working in my life? And then am I, in response to who God is and how he's working in my life, am I giving thanksgiving back to him? Am I continually and repeatedly praising God for all that he uh, has been doing? So that, that, that's the picture that, that Paul uh, paints there in terms of those words there uh, in verse 7. But uh, a couple other things. Okay, of, of rooted and built up in him. Uh, again, just that emphasis of, uh, even as we sang in that last song today, uh, of uh, on, on Christ the solid rock I stand, but what are other foundations that we like to, to build upon? I will, yeah, we like to build on sand. We like to build upon other things, whether it be our own human knowledge and desires, uh, our own uh, understanding of what the world is calling us to do. We like to to be rooted up and, and built into those things. Uh, and so we have to be sure that, that we are on Christ, that we have received Him, uh, that we are rooted deeply in Him, uh, like, a, like a redwood tree. Uh, and also, you know that uh, redwood trees, that their, their roots are interconnected. Uh, so that uh, enormous forest just north of San Francisco uh, is all interconnected, all of those redwood trees. Uh, and they are connected to one another and helping uh, all of the other trees to survive, sharing nutrients and all of these things. Uh, what's also interesting about these uh, is they're all, they're all plural, meaning that, that they're given to the church. Uh, and I think that they, there's an emphasis of, hey, as, as a church, we are to be rooted in Christ. We are to be built up. In Christ, we are to be strengthened and established in our faith, uh, according to who Jesus is and what He has done. Uh, and ultimately, uh, all of these things, Paul says, uh, that they are to to be rooted, built up, and established, just as they were taught. Now, ultimately, uh, Paul is now pointing back to that tradition of Christ mentioned in, in verse six. He's pointing to uh, what Paul, now Paul's never been to this church, he's never met these people, uh, but uh, they have, in essence, uh, heard everything that Paul taught through this man named Epaphras, uh, who was probably the, one of the, the elders or, or the pastor at the church, uh, and that guy traveled all the way to Rome because of false teaching that was entering in uh, to the church. Uh, and, and Paul is writing this uh, again to to vaccinate them 
uh, to, to false teaching in the future. It's not uh, antibiotics. They're not sick right now. Uh, but, but it's a vaccination so that they don't get sick in the future, uh, which is also kind of a, a warning to us because oftentimes how do we assess our, our own lives? Hey, I'm, I'm doing well. I can kind of, uh, you know, coast a little bit. Uh, and we're not as worried about falling away from Christ in the future or, or wandering into sin. But, but Paul makes it clear. No, hey, he says, hey, the firmness of your faith in verse 5, he now then challenges them and commands them to, to walk in Christ uh, in verse 6. Uh, and all of this, of as, as we are, as we're rooted, built up, and established, all of it comes full circle because as God is working uh, in us, we, we, we then turn all, the, all of his energy working in us right back into praise directed towards him. Uh, one pastor said that, that praise completes the circle in which the blessings that flow to us from God return to him in the form of our praise uh, and adoration. Uh, and just those, uh, those characteristics, I think we need to kind of take inventory. Okay? Do we see that in our own lives and how are we, how are we walking? Uh, and those two big implications that we've seen this morning of Number one, if we have believed in Jesus, that, that we must live for Jesus. We can't, we can't separate the, the receiving him uh, from the living for him. Uh, and then secondly, if we are to live for Jesus, we must not move from him. And living, living for Jesus, walking in him, means that you can't wander away. You can't go into your own path and according to your own uh, trajectory, so to speak. And... Uh, we also have to think through of how, how you begin, because Paul says, hey, as you receive Jesus, uh, continue in that, walk in him. How you, how you begin to receive Jesus will impact your, your overall trajectory. Uh, and that trajectory is really, really important because uh, you naturally continue on that path. That's, you know, the laws of, uh, of inertia, the laws of, of science say, hey, if you continue on a trajectory, unless something moves you, you're going to continue in that vector, so to speak. Uh, so think of it this way. If, if you were in an airplane uh, and you're wanting to go to Hawaii, you're, you're leaving LAX, uh, Los Angeles International Airport, going to Hawaii, uh, you have to have a very specific heading, right? Because again, the Pacific Ocean, very big, uh, and Hawaii is very small. Uh, and if you are off just one degree on your heading, uh, when you go to, when you're aiming for Hawaii, what's going to happen? If you're just off one degree. Yeah, the, the further you go, the further off course you go. Uh, and so it, being off one degree at the beginning means that uh, you either end up in like Japan somewhere or Australia, uh, right? Just because that, uh, that trajectory can be uh, so skewed further down the road. So what I want to ask this morning and really encourage you to think about it is what trajectory are you on? How is your walk with Christ? This is, this is a time to, to kind of take inventory of our lives uh, and to see uh, what's my heading. And uh, as, as, we, as we're here this morning, I would say there's, there's probably, uh, or you could say that there could, there's three groups of people potentially. Right? Number one would be those who uh, are, are faithfully carrying out what's said in these verses. Right? They have received uh, Jesus uh, as the Christ, as their Lord, uh, and they are walking in Him. 
Now, not that they're doing that perfectly, uh, but but they are they're doing it faithfully. Uh, that would be that would be one category. And uh, to those of you who who are in that category, I just want to echo what Paul said. You know, Paul said, "Hey, then, then continue doing what you're doing. Keep on pursuing Christ uh, and walking continually in Him." rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Continue to do that. Right? But that would, be, that would be one category. A second category would be, uh, maybe you are today where I was when I was in college, where, where you, you see that, hey, I've, I've professed Jesus. I've, I, I've received him. I, I believe that, that he is who he says he is. But then as, as you begin to, to look at your life, you see some discontinuity. Uh, you see there's some disconnects uh, that on the one hand you would say certain things but on the other hand you do other things. Uh, and I've, I've been there. Uh, I know what that feels like and it's not good because uh, you, you have uh, the Spirit of God working upon your heart uh, reminding you of those areas where you're not following Christ. Uh, if you can Listen to, to Psalm 32, verses 3 through 5, which are written by King David uh, during uh, the year's time where, where David was kind of under the discipline of the Lord. See, see David uh, committed his sin with Bathsheba, killed her husband Uriah, and then it was almost a year uh, before the prophet Nathan confronted him. So that's a whole lot of time for the Spirit of God to be working upon David. Uh, and to just literally be be beating him up because of his unconfessed sin. Think about that. David committed adultery and then murdered somebody as the king. And so the spirit of God was weighing heavily upon him. And this is what this is what David writes. And it's it's so amazing about his experience. He says, "For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long." For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. And that word selah is, is used by the psalmists to indicate like a time where they want you to pause and, and kind of think about what was just said. And so, so David writes that. And he says, hey, think about what I just said about the, the consequences of sin in my life. When David was silent about his sin, when he knew he sinned, but he had not gone before the Lord and confessed it, uh, and it was just like a festering wound upon him. Uh, just, I mean, the, the picture that he paints of his, his bones wasting away all day long. Uh, and, and he says it felt like day and night that the Lord's hand was upon him. Uh, of... He says, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Have you ever been just out in the heat and you're just like, ah, this is, this is exhausting. I, I'm, uh, I just feel drained. That's how David felt because his sin was weighing upon him. And that might be how, how you feel. That was definitely how I felt uh, in college in, in those days. But then look, look at verse 5 in Psalm 32. After, after David wants us to reflect upon how sin wears upon our body and soul, he also says this. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, 
and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And then once again, he says, Selah. Meaning that he wants us to, to think about and reflect upon that reality again. So on the one hand, he's saying, man, when I was silent about my sin, I felt like I was dying each and every day. But then when, when I said, I, I will confess my sin, and, and when he acknowledged his sin to the Lord, what did the Lord do? He, he forgave him. And, and David knew that and understood that. Which means it no longer felt like the, the hand of the Lord was constantly upon him. It no longer felt like he was, that his bones were wasting away day and night. And, and, and that's what I would encourage you to do now. Of, of ta- again, take inventory. And, and as you take inventory of your life, as you see areas where that aren't aligned uh, with your receiving and walking in Christ, confess them to God and ask for forgiveness. Uh, and, and receive the, the, the cleansing and forgiveness that that God promises, 1 John 1, 9. If we, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So those would be the, the two of the categories that we would see of people that could be here this morning. A third group would be, would be those who have never received Christ. Uh, that they haven't received Christ and they're not walking in Him uh, either. And uh, in essence... Uh, you haven't believed in Jesus, but, it's, but unbelief is never in isolation. Ultimately, we, we don't believe Jesus because uh, we worship and love something else other than Jesus. Uh, see, see, worship is at the heart of every decision that we make, even unbelief. And the reason people don't believe is they, they love the sin that would enslave them more than they love the Savior who would free them. Uh, and if you're, if you're in that, that place today where, where you haven't turned from sin and turned to Christ uh, to receive his forgiveness, uh, won't you do that today of, of turning uh, to the Savior, turning to the fountain of living water, uh, rather than trying to, to drink from your own well, which is broken and dirty? Wouldn't it be so much better to not have that hand of the Lord upon you, uh, but to have the Lord's blessing on you and forgiveness and knowing where you stand with him? Uh, and... Uh, again, of what we've seen today is this reality that, that our union with Christ will transform us uh, from the inside out. Uh, and uh, back in the 1800s, uh, uh, a pastor understood that. And there was a, a prominent atheist who kept hounding this pastor. Now, this atheist's name uh, was Charles uh, Bradlaugh. Uh, and uh, there was this uh, Welsh minister... Uh, in England, uh, his name was Hugh Price Hughes. Interesting to have Hugh be your first name and Hughes be your last name. Uh, Hugh Price Hughes, <coughs> this Welsh minister, uh, was challenged by Charles Bradley, Bradlaugh, the, this atheist, to a public debate uh, on uh, the value of the Bible. <coughs> and Hughes, the pastor, believing that, hey, th- this debate is not going to accomplish anything. It's not really going to be profitable. So instead of uh, responding to the debate, he writes uh, a letter to uh, the atheist. Uh, and he says, I propose to you <clears throat> that we bring some concrete evidences of the validity of the Bible's purpose uh, in the form of men and women saved from lives of sin and shame. The pastor said, I will bring 100 such men and women saved by the Bible, and I challenge you to do the same, saved by atheism that denies the Bible. He says, if you cannot bring 100 to match my 100, 
I will be satisfied if you will bring fifty men and women who will stand and testify that they have been lifted up from lives of sin and shame by the influences that deny the Bible's teachings. If you cannot bring fifty, I challenge you to bring twenty people who will testify with shining faces as my one hundred will that they have a great new joy in life of self-respect as a result of your teachings. If you cannot bring twenty, I will be satisfied if you bring ten. Nay, if you cannot bring ten, I challenge you to bring just one man or woman who will make such testimony regarding the uplifting influence of your teachings. So, the, the challenge was issued publicly by the atheist, and this challenge was issued publicly by the pastor. And the challenge by the pastor, known to all of England, was never accepted. See, that atheist couldn't come forward and show how lives had been transformed for good by atheism. But this pastor said, hey, I'll, I'll bring a hundred such men and women uh, who have transformed lives because of their faith and their walk in Christ. See, that pastor understood uh, the gospel transformation that genuinely takes place when we believe in Jesus. Now, and that transformation is what Jesus offers to all of us if we believe in him. And then as we see today, that, that transformation is what Jesus also calls us to. Strengthening us all along the way, rooting us, building us up, and strengthening us, establishing our faith. And then what's our response? Proper response is as we see him working, we uh, abound, overflowing in thanksgiving back to him for how he is working in our lives. Uh, let's praise him now. Lord Jesus, we, we come to, to thank you for dying on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. We, we thank you for, for doing what you did not have to do. But you took our place, you bore our sin, and not only that, you gave us your righteousness. We didn't deserve that but we are so thankful for it. Lord, we, we pray that you would help us to see our hearts and our lives as you see them, uh, to, to rightly assess our spiritual state, our spiritual condition, and ultimately, Lord, we, we want to live for you. As we have received you, we want to walk in you. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to root us firmly in yourself. I pray that you would continue to build us upwards in our faith. I pray that you would continue to confirm and strengthen our walk with you so that we might prove the genuineness of our faith. And then Lord, I pray that you would always help us to keep at the forefront of our minds a spirit of thankfulness, of worship for who you are and what you have done for us. Lord, we want to echo back to you all of the glory, honor, and praise for the grace that you have poured out so richly upon us. So we thank you, we praise you, we worship you, and ask for your strength to live for your glory. And we ask all of this in your magnificent name. Amen. <clears throat>